Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly Forex podcast, taking a hard look at what's driving the world's largest financial market. I'm Delphine Strauss, the FT's currencies correspondent, and I'll be talking you through the market trends of the week with the help of my special guest, Kuhn Chow, head of emerging market strategy at Barclays Capital. Kuhn, there's been absolutely no let-up this week for emerging markets currencies. It seems that the sell-off that began with country-specific shocks in Turkey, Ukraine, Argentina and elsewhere has now become a much more general rush for the exit. Even interest rate rises from India, Turkey and South Africa this week have given only the briefest of respites before the sell-off began again. Thank you for having me here. And you're absolutely right, it has been brutal. However, I would like to echo a friend and client who described it as an unfortunate collection of idiosyncratic factors coming at the same time. And those idiosyncratic factors have been percolating for the last couple of days. Probably the most headline-grabbing were the devaluations that we saw in Argentina and Venezuela, but also ongoing uh, political challenges in some of our major emerging markets, not least of which includes Turkey. And I think these developments forced emerging market investors to step back and think, what am I getting by remaining in the emerging markets, equities, fixed income and currencies when I have some of the big representatives of emerging markets with their own unique challenges? What am I getting elsewhere in the other EM countries which don't have these challenges? And I think they've reached the conclusion that in the countries that don't have the challenges, what they're getting are low yields, they're getting growth which is respectable but uh, certainly uh, not very exciting and I think they concluded that the risk reward argued for taking a more cautious stance. This together with the steady deterioration in emerging market trading conditions and I think this is a structural phenomenon has meant that you had price falls which in turn uh, made investors a bit more worried falls leading to concerns about whether they can get the next slug of hedging done, in turn forcing them to or encouraging them to do that little bit more next time around. So are you saying that it's now a sell-off that has got its own momentum behind it, um, as well as a series of sort of much broader concerns in, in the background? I think so. I think that's hitting the nail on its head. There is an element of people selling because prices have fallen, which of course makes some of us on the research side angry because it doesn't make a lot of sense. However, when you step back and put yourself in the investor's shoes, there is very real contagion effects. Put it this way, if you're an investor who is managing a bond fund, a local government bond fund with a dozen countries' bonds in your portfolio and one particular country's bonds becomes very volatile because of FX moves. 
because of the resulting interest rate hikes, then suddenly your portfolio has become a lot more volatile than you had anticipated. And you're also anyway fearful of money leaving your fund. So your natural course of action is to build up cash, is to reduce the amount of money you have in each of those countries. And the one you'll go for first will be the ones that are liquid and sometimes will be the ones where you've made money on. So I think you do get this portfolio contagion effect. It's something that we've seen in markets time and time again, and I think it's happening right now. So that's why we're seeing the currencies that are generally seen as more robust, say Mexico and Poland, falling in tandem with the ones that are known to be vulnerable. Exactly that, exactly that. I would argue that in Asia, for example, the equivalent is the Malaysian ringgit. Not because the fundamental story is particularly terrible, but because it is liquid. And also, uh, when you do see regional currencies move in a certain direction, the ringgit moves with them. Similarly in Poland, it's very rare to see the Polish lottie, it's very rare to see the Mexican peso, irrespective of how good the fundamentals are, to go one way when some of the big heavyweight currencies in the regions are going the other way. I mean, as you say, it's a crucial question how far institutional investors are now changing their behaviour. What we'd seen last year with the sell-off that was sparked by the Fed's tapering plans was um, retail investors who were really, really averse to emerging markets, but apparently institutional investors keeping the bulk of their bond holdings and, you know, foreign ownership staying relatively stable. If this pattern's changing now... How's it going to affect the bond market? Very significantly, because the amount that large institutional investors do are significantly above those of retail investors, which tend to be a little bit more drips and drabs, whereas on the institutional side, a strategic allocation can mean a significant push on the funds that are managing the allocations to sell. And that's the headache at the moment. And I think what we have now is not really selling of the underlying assets. I don't think institutional investors have decided that the pension fund allocation or the insurance fund allocation EM needs to go down. However, I think what you have had is a request that the positions be adjusted so that the volatility can be lower. And there's always an easy way to bring the volatility lower on any bond or equity position. You sell the currency. The currency component of your local exposure is always going to be the most uh, volatile component. I think that's what we're getting right now. We haven't had uh, the real move, the mothership of moves, which is the selling of the underlying. That would be scary if that happened. And uh, would we need a much more dramatic change in the underlying position for that to take place? I think so. I think we would need the major EM economies to show that even with developed market growth picking up, they cannot benefit. I think you need investors to conclude that EM growth overall, not just the major economies, is going to be converging towards developed markets. And that would change sentiment. The reason being is that when you look at the history of flows to emerging markets, of all the macroeconomic indicators that you can use to try and predict flows, the one which is the stickiest, the one which works the best, is growth. Growth differentials with developed markets. There's numerous literature on this, and time and time again, that's the 101 of investing in emerging markets, growth. And of course, not all governments are going to see currency weakness as a problem. Um, There are indeed quite a few who may welcome it, um, even if they might prefer a rather more gradual fall in the currency. 
So is all of this as bad as it seems? Which are the countries where you might actually see this as helping the process of economic adjustment? I think in many cases, having currency flexibility is a boon. It means that we have a natural stabilising mechanism. You start off with a current account deficit, you have currency depreciation, current account deficit gets smaller. Obviously, during the process, countries can overshoot. They go weaker than they need to be. And I think we'll probably be doing it now. In terms of uh, countries that would uh, welcome that and not do anything untoward against it, I think the ones which would welcome it will be the ones who have low inflation, where you don't have FX mismatches. To generalise, that would be the bulk of LATAM excluding Brazil, excluding Argentina. Actually, it's the, it's the Andean countries. Let's get to the crux of the matter. It's the Andean countries in the EMEA region. Actually, it's not that many. There are not many countries who can afford unfettered currency depreciation. Russia can. Uh, Central Europe cannot because of its FX mismatches. Turkey and South Africa have demonstrated they cannot. And within Asia, I think the bulk of Asia can accommodate FX depreciation without too many complaints. Indeed, with some relief after the weakness we've seen in the yen over the past year. Exactly, exactly that. I'm sure Korean policymakers are quietly happy with what's happened, given the appreciation of the Korean won against the yen, an appreciation against the currency of their major trading competitor. Kun Shao at Barclays Capital, thank you very much. We'll end on that note. Hard Currency will be back next week, but until then you can read up-to-date FX news and analysis on our website, ft.com slash fx. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.